Hi, I'm Stephen Apt, and here at Divine Savior Church, we believe that the message of Jesus truly changes lives. And so it's my prayer that as you listen to this message, that it does change your heart, uh, that it brings you peace and hope once again today. After you listen to it, if you wouldn't mind subscribing and liking, uh, we'd be grateful for that so that more people can hear the message of Jesus. Thank you. Uh, it's hard to believe that we're almost done with this series. At least, it's hard to believe for me, maybe for you who have been sitting here for, for the last 12 weeks, uh, you're thinking, are we ever going to finish this series? Uh, but we are in this series called No Greater Hope, uh, which we've been walking through since the week after Easter. And what we've been doing is walking through the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote in 50 AD to the Christians uh, living in the city of Ephesus. And Paul wrote to them a letter of hope, greater hope than this world can give. And if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, I, I just want to highlight some of the things that, hap- that Paul mentioned, the, the amazing truths that he mentioned in the first three chapters. Because there are six chapters in the book of Ephesians. The first three deal with everything that God has done for us. Truths like, before the creation of the world, before anything was in place, before God said, let there be light, before anything, we're told God chose you. You. He knew you. He chose you to be his own. Before you could do anything to earn it, before you could achieve it, before you could do anything to uh, disqualify yourself, God chose you to be his own. You talk about hope. It's nothing to do with your performance. It's everything about God's grace for you. We looked at the amazing truth of how we are part of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of our God. And so no matter what happens to you in this life, even if you die, you will continue to live in the lightness and brightness and joy and perfection of the eternal kingdom of our God with our King Jesus. We looked at how we are members of God's household, that the God of this world, the all-powerful, the perfect the creator of the world, provider of all things, he calls you his father. And you and I have the bold audacity to wake him up, so to speak, at two in the morning, even though God doesn't sleep. We can enter his room at any time of the day, and he loves to hear from you. He loves to provide for you. He loves to give you guidance and wisdom, and he loves to assure you again and again of his love for you. We have a God who also says that we are his temple. Not just our church, but the people God lives in. God doesn't live off in some distant place. He says, I live in you. No matter where you go, no matter what you're going through, God goes with you because he says you are his temple that he dwells in. You talk about hope in any given situation. God is with you. And we saw at the end of chapter 3 that this God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or even imagine. And we can imagine some pretty big things. And God can do more. Chapter 4 is a transition. What does this mean for our life? And that's where we're at today. We're in chapter 5. And the question 
that I want to pose to you today, and the question that Paul really takes on is this. Does it really matter how I live? Uh, Does it matter what I do behind closed doors, my own closed doors, where no one else is around, no one else is getting hurt by anything? Does it matter how I live? I think for many of us Americans, even many Christians, we would say, no, it's my business. I have the rights and freedoms. If I'm not breaking laws, if I'm not hurting anyone, I should be able to live how I want. Paul takes this on today. And I'm going to be honest right up front. All of chapter 5, this week and next week, are going to be very challenging for you and me. And like I said, me included. And so what I'm going to ask you today is to come and listen to the Word of God with a humble heart and a curious heart. Why does God say what He does? Before we sit in judgment of our God, let's sit and listen to what God has to say and be curious about what God has to say. And come with humility. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 14 verses to start. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's stop right there. Paul starts, Follow God's example as dearly loved children. What's the example that Paul wants us to follow? God's example of love. Walk in the way of love. What kind of love is this? It's a self-sacrificing love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. It's a life of self-sacrificial love. And as we look at our Savior Jesus, what did he sacrifice for you and for me? Yes, himself, as he died on the cross, but he sacrificed his wants and desires. The night before he died, he prayed to the Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to save humanity, take this cup from me. And the Father said there's no other way. He sacrificed his wants and desires. He sacrificed his pride. Because to be crucified on the cross was a humiliating thing. It was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals, and they crucified you naked. Imagine 
being innocent of all crimes, being wrongly put to death, and then insult on top of injury. And then, of course, he died for us, laying down his life for you and for me in self-sacrificial love. Why? What did it accomplish? As dearly loved children. So that you could be a dearly loved child of God. And that is what you are. Dearly loved children of the God of this world. Now we walk in the way of love. And when we think of self-sacrificial love, we tend to probably think of others, which is true. We, we live in self-sacrificial love to one another. But we also live in self-sacrificial love to our God. We sacrifice our wants, our desires, and our pride to walk in the way of love for God. And how do we do that? It's your first point today. Children of the light know sin, but walk in obedience. They know sin, but walk in obedience. This is Paul's point from 3 through 14. And he points out three different things. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, or of greed. Then he goes on to say, there shouldn't be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Paul says, as dearly loved children, children of the light, it absolutely matters how you live, and here's how we are supposed to live. No sin, but walk in obedience. No sexual immorality. The Greek word is poinea. It's where we get our English word pornography. It is a perversion of God's gift of sex. Uh, and that a perversion of it is anything outside of the confines of marriage. That is sexual immorality. God says this is a great gift, but reserved for marriage. No impurity. Uh, we talked about this word last week. It means uncleanness. No uncleanness. So, what does that mean? Uh, no vulgarities. As Paul goes on, no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Uh, any of that, slander, gossip, all of that makes us unclean. And then no greed. The, the constant desire for more. I need more, and I'm not content and thankful for what my God has given to me. Paul says, not even a hint of these things. Why do people look to this? Why does Paul say none of this? Well, Christian or non-Christian, why don't go into these things? Because people look to these things for hope, for fulfillment, for satisfaction. And yet are people ever truly satisfied? Are people ever truly filled with hope through these things? More often than not, we're left feeling empty. We're left feeling used. We're left feeling emotionally uh, bankrupt and not satisfied. We want more and we need more because we're left empty. Paul says, not even a hint of these things. What's really interesting is this was written in 50 AD, right? 
And yet, could Paul have picked three better examples for modern-day America? Maybe what this shows is what human hearts are so prone to turn to, to look to hope. Sexual immorality, impurities, and greed of all kinds. And yet, it's a way of emptiness that never truly satisfies. But then Paul also points out something else. And quite frankly, we don't like it. Verse 5. No person living like this has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you. Jump ahead. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Paul just mentioned something that we in America don't like, and it's a wrathful God. God's wrath. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but look what Paul says. Anyone who's living like this will not enter the kingdom of Christ or of God. And God's wrath will come on them. Well, how do we know if we're walking in this way? Is it one day of doing this? Is it two days a week? Three days a week? What constitutes walking and living like this? It's not a numerical number. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. When, when I fall into these things, because we will, because we're not perfect, when we fall into these things, do we have a heart that's repentant and sorrowful, or do we have an attitude of, no big deal? How are you living, Christian? How are you walking? Are you walking in the light of obedience, or are you walking in sin? Because this is a promise. You know, we in the Christian church, we love the promises that God makes. We love the forgiveness of sins. We love the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. But we kind of glaze over promises like this, that people who continue to walk in these things will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. And so Paul is saying, you can't say you're a Christian and also continuing willfully to go in and walk in these things. Can't do it. It's an oxymoron. Walk in the light of the Lord. Because of these things, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. All right, let's talk about it. I think part of the reason we don't like it is because when we think of the wrath of God, we think of God as a a God who's red in the face, yelling, and so upset and angry. That's not really what the Greek conveys here. Uh, This is a judicial term. It's standing before a judge and you're found guilty, and the wrath of the judge is the punishment that comes from it. The judge could be completely emotionless emotionless in the whole thing, and still you receive the wrath of the judge. That's what's being conveyed here. We stand before God guilty, the person stands before God guilty, and they receive the wrath, the punishment that comes from God. So don't picture an angry God red in the face, so upset, ready to flip the tables and and yell at you. No, but the judgment will follow for the disobedient, those who are walking in this way. Okay, great. We still don't like it, do we? Because shouldn't it all that matter is that we're good people? I'm a good person. Can't we just be non-religious and a good person? Can't we just do our best in Christianity and chalk it up to 
to uh, I'm a good person and it doesn't really matter what the rest, how the rest plays out. Tim Keller uh, told a story one time of a poor widow who raised her son. And from little on, she told her son, son, be a hard worker. Always tell the truth and be extremely generous to the poor. She raised him, drilling those things into his head. Work hard. Always tell the truth and be generous, taking care of other people. As that boy got old enough to go to college, she scraped up all the money she had, all the money she had, and sacrificed everything for him to go to college and get a degree because she wanted her baby boy to go on and have a better life than she did in the poverty that she lived in. And he graduated. He graduated from college. He had a degree. He got a good paying job, and he always worked hard. He always told the truth, and he was extremely generous to the poor, uh, not only from donating money, but he uh, volunteered his time at all of these different shelters, taking care of the poor. But he never talked to his mother again. He wouldn't respond to her texts, ignored her calls. She tried emailing him, and he wouldn't respond. All he would do is send her a birthday card on her birthday. That was it. But isn't it enough that he's a good person? He works hard. He always tells the truth. And he's very generous to the poor. I don't think there's a single one of us here that would say, yeah, that's okay. No, that's condemnable. How could you turn your back on a relationship that this person has sacrificed everything for you, that has provided everything for you? How could you just turn your back on that individual. Now, if there is a God, and if he provides everything for you, your life, he makes your heart beat, he gives you your mental abilities, he gives you the talents that you have to work and gain money, he has sacrificed everything for you, is it good enough to just be a good person and turn your back on that relationship? It's as condemnable as that young man. Because that's what Christianity is. It's not a set of rules or religious practices to follow. It is a relationship with the God of this world who's provided everything for you and sacrificed everything for you. And it's this reason that we walk in the light. Because our God has sacrificed everything for us to completely change the outlook of our eternal future. And so that's your second point. Children of the light walk in who they are, not in who they were. Look at verse 8. Paul says, We were once darkness, now we are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Notice Paul didn't say you once were living in darkness, once you were in the dark. No, you and I were once darkness. We loved to sin. We loved everything that God hates. We wanted nothing to do with God, and we wanted to drag other people with us. But now, we are light in the Lord. How did this happen? How did this major change happen? 
It's not because you have followed some religious practice. It's not because you've been in worship 75% of the time this year. It's not because you've taken starting point with me. It's not because you're in connect groups and you never miss. It's not because you're serving in some way. How did this great change happen? Jesus, the light of the world, God himself, took on human flesh and came into this world to shine his light in the darkness of this world. He never once walked in the darkness of sin, never once walked in the darkness of obedience. And how was he rewarded? By getting crucified. By having the people hate him so much because he was exposing their dark deeds that they crucified him to the cross where the light of the world went out. But there's more to it. As Jesus was on the cross, for three hours over Jerusalem, darkness hung. And in the midst of those three hours, Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's only one reason God forsakes anyone, and it's sin. There's only one reason God turns his back on anyone, and it is sin. And on the cross, God forsook his son Jesus. But I thought we just said he walked in perfection. Why would God turn his back on someone who walked in obedience? Because here's what happened at the cross. Jesus, the light of the world, became your darkness. He took the darkness of all of your sins. He took the darkness of what you've done behind closed doors when no one else knew. He took the darkness of your thoughts, the darkness of your actions. He took it all on himself, and he died so that you could be a child of the light. And that is what you are through Jesus. Jesus took all of your darkness that you may become light. And so let's live who we are. We are children of the light. Live in the light. This is our motivation for living in the light. It's not because we have to earn God's favor. We can never do it anyways. It's not because we have to achieve heaven. We can never do it anyways. We want to live in self-sacrificial love for our God, walking in love for our God, even behind closed doors when no one else is watching because God is always with us. We want to walk in the way of light because look at what our God has done. He's provided everything for our life. He sacrificed everything for us so that we would become children of the light. And so let's walk that way. What's it going to take? The last five verses here. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your last point today, children of the light, walk wisely, knowing what the Lord's will is. Wisdom is knowing what the Lord's will is, knowing what pleases the Lord, and walking in that. It's walking in things we've heard, walking in goodness, righteousness, and truth with thanksgiving. Walking in what God considers good, 
walking in what God considers righteous, walking in what God says is truth, and be filled with a heart of thanksgiving to Jesus Christ for everything that God has done for us. What motivates us to do this? What influences us to do this? Notice what he says in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Just like we come under the influence of uh, alcohol when we drink alcohol, and we do things that we normally wouldn't do, the same is true when we are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit influences us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. We'd be, we're influenced to live and walk in the goodness and righteousness and truth of our Lord. We're influenced to be filled with thanksgiving, singing with psalms, hymns, and other spiritual songs to our God for the good that he has done for us. And how are you filled with the Spirit? The Word of God. As you read the Word of God, the Spirit fills you up and influences you to walk as a child of the light, not as unwise, but as wise, approving and knowing what the Lord's will is and walking in it. May God be with you as we walk as children of the light in all goodness, righteousness and truth, with a heart of thanksgiving to the glory and honor of our God who has brought us from darkness to his wonderful light. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, you are a God who loves us so much. You're a God who wants us to be filled with hope, be filled with fulfillment and satisfaction. You want us to be filled with peace and joy, and that is what you've provided for us uh, as you've brought us from darkness into your wonderful light. We thank you for everything you've done for us through our Savior Jesus, who took on our sin so that we may be children of the light and we may be called your dearly loved children for that is what we are because you've lavished your love on us. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to guide us and lead us uh, in the way of your will and to approve of what your will is uh, so that we can live as wise, not unwise, knowing uh, exactly what goodness is, exactly what righteousness is, exactly what truth is, and so that we're filled with thanksgiving. As we're behind closed doors, uh, help us to be motivated to live lives for you. It's, we're, we'd be tempted to live how we want, doing what we want, and yet we want to live a life for you who, who's provided everything for us, sacrificed everything for us, that we may be called children of the light, for that is what we are through our Savior Jesus. We ask for your guidance and wisdom, and we ask for your grace once again in this. It's in our Savior Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message today. It's my prayer that uh, it has changed your heart as you grew in the message of your Savior, Jesus. Again, if you wouldn't mind liking and subscribing, we'd be grateful for that. God bless your day.